So, so you're saying Paul sent you with this letter to your master Philemon, and so he hasn't even read it before you got there. Now, I was completely stressed out, and the closer and closer I got to Colossae, the scareder I got. And so, and so Paul was confident that Philemon was going to accept you back. So, I, so here I am, I'm the slave, and I skip town. And instead of taking off to where I'm never going to be seen again, I go to my master's pastor. Sorry, uh, what's a pastor? It, it's not important. But I did go to Paul because I wanted to know a little bit more about what this Christianity stuff was. But then when I got back, I was scared to death of how Philemon was going to respond to me. And so, and so Paul was confident that Philemon was going to accept you back. Yes, he did accept me back, which I was grateful for. Um, but it did help the fact that the letter was actually read to the whole church. Oh, okay, so wait, wait. Philemon read this letter to the whole church. So, yeah, not, not by his choice, but Paul told him to do that in the letter. So Paul was probably using this as an example then. That was my best guess. Paul had a lot to say about forgiveness, so I'm sure that was the message he wanted to convey to the church at the time. Hey, Onesimus, thank you for coming in. Hey, stay tuned, because right after the break, we're going to be talking to the Apostle John about the best five ways that you, this summer, can avoid heresy. Stay tuned. Good morning, church family. It is great to see you here this morning. Good to be seen. Always good to be seen. We're on a message series entitled Bible Shorts. Bible Shorts uh, on that. The Bible, as most of you know, is divided into two parts. There's the Old Testament and then there's the New Testament. The Old Testament has what we refer to as 39 books. I don't know why we call them books. They're not books like we think, but 39 books. The Old Testament begins with the story of creation. And then it's basically the history of God's dealings with his special people, the Jewish people. The last book in the Old Testament is the book of Malachi. It was written about 420 B.C. After that time, for 400 years until the New Testament came into being, we refer to that as 400 silent years. No scripture was written during that 400-year period. Then the New Testament comes along. It begins with the life of Jesus, the story of Jesus, and then tells the history of the early Christian church. It ends with the book of Revelations, uh, which talks about end times. There are 27 books in the New Testament, 39 in the Old Testament. So here's your math test of the day. 39, 27 equals 66 books in the Bible. 66 books. In my understanding, there is a famous route or route highway in, uh, in California that will help you remember 66. It is called Route 66. So if you can just remember that, you know there's 66 books in the Bible, in the Bible. So the New Testament was written over a period of about, most of it was written in a period of about 20 years, 20 years from the late 40s AD to the late 60s AD. The last book in the New Testament written was the Gospel of John in about 90 AD. Now in the Bible, there are five books that only have one chapter. That's it. That's where we get our title, Bible Shorts, in this series. One of those five books is in the Old Testament, four are in the New Testament. So today, as we've been looking each week at one of these books, today we're going to look at a letter written to a man by the name of Philemon. Philemon. So if you haven't already done so, please take out your message outline today. Let's very quickly look at kind of the, some of the key players and the backstory of this letter that we'll look at today. The first fill in the blank on your message outline tells us that this letter was written by the great missionary Paul. Now it's interesting 
This man named Paul wrote almost half of the books that we find in the New Testament. Almost half the books he wrote them. He was not one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. In fact, his job before he became a Christian, he actually traveled throughout the Mediterranean region, region looking for Christians. He would arrest them. He would persecute Christians. He would even put some Christians to death. That's what he did until he had a very dramatic conversion experience. And he spent the rest of his life traveling around the Mediterranean world, telling people about Jesus and planting churches. Eventually, he was killed for his faith by the Roman Empire. But now, as he writes this letter, he is under house arrest in Rome. Now, there are places that nobody wants to be in, but if in, in New Testament times, there's one place you did not want to be in, and that was in a Roman prison in the dungeon, in the dungeon. These were very inhumane conditions that these prisoners had to live in. That's where Paul started. He was put in a dungeon, but later now we see at the time of this letter, he was allowed to live under house arrest. Somewhat similar to what we talk about today. Not in the dungeon. He had his own quarters. He had to pay for that. He had people who would stay with him, attend to his needs, that type of a thing. So he's under house arrest. And somewhere along the way, while he was in jail, he runs into and he meets a man. Next fill in the blank on your outline. He meets a runaway slave by the name of Onesimus. Onesimus and he leads him to Christ. He leads him to Christ. Onesimus becomes very helpful to Paul as he's now still in prison, even under house arrest. The name Onesimus literally means useful. It was a very common name given to slaves at that time. Now look at this next fill in the blank. We get into the, the little letter, if you would. Onesimus was the slave of a man named Philemon who lived in the ancient Mediterranean city of Colossae, now in modern-day Turkey. Onesimus had stolen money from Philemon, from his master, and he had run away from him, a very serious event in that day and time. Now, I'm going to give you a map just to give you these are historical events that really happens. I want you to understand where they're happening at. Here you can see in the, the big box at the top, it locates the city of Colossae. And there it is in modern day Turkey. And then you can see the red dotted line is carrying you all the way to Rome. It's 1,200 miles to travel to Rome from Colossae by the land or by sea. You would not make this journey by land. You would make it by sea. So that's where, who Philemon is, that's where he lived. He had a church that met in his home. He was a fairly wealthy man. He was a leader in the church as well. So look at the fill in the blank. Paul is sending Onesimus now back to Philemon with a letter to the church at Colossae. So he's carrying two documents. He's carrying a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Colossae. That letter is found in the New Testament portion of your Bible. We refer to it as the book of Colossians. That's one of the letter he carried. But he's also carrying this note that Paul has written to Philemon. It's only 25 verses long. And here's what he's, he's asking in this note. He's asking Philemon to forgive Onesimus and to receive him back no longer as a slave, but as a Christian brother, a Christian co-worker, if you would. These are real letters written to real people. And guess what? We get to read their mail. So I want us to look at this letter together today. And if you have your Bible app, I want you to find it, pull it up. I want you to see the words as well as hear the words. If you don't have a, a Bible, or your Bible app, the words to this will be on the screen. Again, it's only 25 verses long. So let's look at this letter and then we'll talk about what it means to us today. 
So Philemon, verse 1, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now right off the bat, we go like, why did he say he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus? He's a prisoner of Rome. He actually uses this phrase three times in this short letter. But he says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, this may have been Philemon's wife, we're not sure. Our sister, he says, and Archibus, who may have been Philemon's son. Again, we're not really sure about that. Our fellow soldier. And to the church that meets in your home. Again, he has opened his home up for a church to meet there. And you may say, well, why did they meet in the home? Why did they meet in the church building? That's because there were no church buildings at this time. Church buildings didn't come along until about 200 more years to about 230 to 250 AD is when we first start seeing any reference of a physical church building. Verse 3, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he, he offers a prayer for, for Philemon and some thanksgiving. Verse 4, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all of his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you brother have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Now how did he do that? How did he refresh the hearts of the Lord's people? Again he had a church that met in his home. He was one of the leaders of the church and I'm sure he did many more other things to advance and serve God and his kingdom. But now he gets in his, his note the real heart of why he is writing. He's going to come at Philemon from several different ways to try to get Philemon to release, forgive Onesimus and release him to God's service. So let's look at it. Verse eight, therefore, although in Christ, I could be bold and order you to do what's right. Now who gave Paul spiritual authority to begin ordering people around? Many of you will remember, whenever we talk about Paul, we give him a name before his name. We don't just call him Paul, we call him, it's another name like for missionary, we call him the what? Apostle. We refer to him as the Apostle Paul. Now usually the apostles referred to the 11 uh, followers of Jesus. Remember, there were 11 now because Judas took his own life after betraying Jesus. These were kind of the pillars of the early Christian church. These were men who had spent three years traveling with Jesus, hearing Jesus teach, seeing him do the miracles and stuff. So let me just say this. They were on the top of the food chain when it came to the Christian, early Christian church. You're apostle. Oh man, you hung out with Jesus. Oh wow, type of a thing. Now Paul was not one of the 12, but he's referred to as apostle because after Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus literally appeared to Paul and it led to his dramatic conversion on that. So he's referred to as the apostle. Paul. So he has some authority, if you would. So here we see reading on in verse 9, he says, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. In other words, I don't have to tell you what to do. I want to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. He's not talking about a biological son. He's talking about a spiritual son. Remember, he led him to Christ who has become my son while I was in chains. They met in prison. Formerly, he was useless to me, but now he has become useful to both you and me. And I am sending him, who is my very heart, talking about the closest of their relationship, I'm sending him back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that you could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. Again, 
when you were under prison or house arrest, you had to provide for yourself. It wasn't like they served you meals and you had to do that. So that's what he's referring to here. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you would do would not seem forced, but would be voluntarily, voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. Notice this, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother, a fellow Christian, a fellow church worker, a leader. He is very dear to me, but even more dear to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Verse 17, so if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Now catch this, if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, why did he run away? What had he done? He had stolen money from his master, from Philemon. He had stolen money. Paul's referring to that. So if he owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. Notice this. I will pay it back. I'll pay you back the money he has stolen from you. I want you to forgive him though. Not to mention, then notice this phrase, that you... Philemon, you owe me your very self. What's he referring to? It very well may be on one of Paul's journeys earlier to Colossae that he is the one who led Philemon and his family to Christ. That's probably what he's referring to. So he says, not to mention that you owe me your very life. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write you knowing that you will do even more than I'm asking you to. And then as he closes, he says, and one more thing, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. All these Christians are praying that Paul, who's in prison in Rome, will be released. That never happened. Never happened. He never made it out. Even though he was under house arrest, he never made it out. He eventually went and was tried before Caesar for the, the, Ro the Roman authorities there. And he was probably executed one or two years after he wrote this letter. So he closes out. He says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus sends you greetings, as does Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow servants. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Now, why on earth did this small letter, why on earth did it make it in the Bible? I mean, it doesn't seem to be a big deal. Why did it make it in the Bible? Well, the reason for this, and by the way, there are other letters written by apostles that we don't have in Scripture. We know that because Paul wrote two letters to the church at Corinth, and in those two letters, he makes reference to a third letter he wrote. We, never, we don't even have a copy of that, so it never made it in. So not all did. Why did this one? And the reason why is because of inspiration. The Bible claims to be the inspired word of God, inspiration. Well, what does that mean? Inspiration simply means this, that God guided certain people. He guided certain people to correctly interpret God's actions, what God was doing. He led them to write it down, write it down. And God oversaw the process of this being handed down to you and me. So that here it is 2000 years later. And folks, I'll tell you something. We have exactly what God wanted us to have in this book. And this is a book you can build your life on. This is a book you can trust with all your heart. It is God's inspired word to you. And I would encourage you and I to be lifelong students of God's word. Now, decades later, there was a man named Ignatius. He was kind of a church historian, uh, kind of a, a church leader as well. And he writes about the bishop or the leader of the church at Ephesus. Guess what his name was? Onesimus. Now, we don't know if it's the same guy in our, who, that 
the runaway slave because it was a very common name. But it very well may be that has something to do with it being included in Scripture. But the most important thing is this. What does this letter mean to you and what does it mean to me 2,000 years later? What does it mean to us? Well, there's two main themes in this, in this book, in this letter rather. First of all, there is a theme of equality among Christians. That they were not to look at each other as slave, free, rich, poor. No, we looked at each other as brothers in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ. We were equal with one another. That's one thing. But the major overriding theme of this letter is forgiveness, is forgiveness. Now, every one of us have probably heard numerous messages on forgiveness. And we know that when I offend somebody, if I offend you, I need to come to you and ask for forgiveness. I need to ask for forgiveness. And on the other hand, if you've offended me and you come to me and ask me to forgiveness, what should I do? I should offer forgiveness to you. I forgive you for doing that. But in the forgiveness process, there is one person who rarely gets forgiven. We rarely forgive ourselves. This is a problem. This is a big problem in some of your lives here this morning. We rarely forgive ourselves. So today we're going to be looking very quickly at some of the reasons why we won't forgive ourselves. And then we're going to look at some steps we need to take in order to forgive ourselves. So first of all, let's look at why we don't forgive ourselves. The first reason is because we have a belief in performance-based forgiveness. In other words, I have to earn God for God's forgiveness. I have to do something to receive God's forgiveness. In other words, we pay for God's forgiveness. How do we do that? Well, maybe I serve more in the church. Maybe I give money to the church. What I, you know, I try to buy God's forgiveness. The problem with that is it doesn't line up with God's word. Look at this verse, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. We're told that God has saved you by his grace when you believed. When you believed, and you can't take credit for this, it's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us have anything to boast about. In other words, here's what he's saying, that God accepts us based off of what he has done for us, not what we've done for him. That's how we're accepted by him. But we say, I must measure up, I need to do something. I need to do something. Now, I've got a question. Who likes Chick-fil-A? Chick-fil-A, you sir, right there with that salty, do you really like Chick-fil-A? I need you to come up on the stage right now. Come on up, come on up, come on up. It's gonna be worth it in the end. It's gonna be worth it in the end. We're on number four, test, 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 test. This is the test of the American Broadcasting. Thank you for being brave. First of all, please tell us your name. Uh, my name's Nick. Nick. His name is Nick. Now, Nick, do I know you? Yes. Nick, for the purpose of this interview, you need to say, I've never met you before. So let's start over. Okay. What is your name? My name is Nick. Nick, have we ever met before? No. I am so glad, Nick. So glad. But Nick, here, it's your good, it's your, your lucky day because you like Chick-fil-A. I love Chick-fil-A too. And Nick, I have right here, this is a gift card to Chick-fil-A. A gift card to Chick-fil-A. Now, Nick, I want to give you this gift card as a gift. Now, when would this gift card be yours? When you did what? When I... When you take it. Yeah. But before you take it... <laughs> Nick, did you know that on Sunday nights, there are over 60 people that come here and we play volleyball here on Sunday nights. Youth, adults, it is so much fun. Do you play volleyball? 
Sometimes. You ought to come play. It's a lot, a lot of fun. But before we can play volleyball on Sunday nights, we have to sweep the gym floor and spot mop it. Now, I want to give you this gift card as a gift, but would you be willing to come this afternoon and sweep the gym floor and mop it for us before I give you this gift? Would you be willing to do that? That... The guy in the first service said yes. I wouldn't either, Nick, because if I ask you to do that, would this really be a gift? No. Why not? It has a condition. It has a condition. You have to do something. Now, here's the problem, Nick. That's sometimes how we see God's forgiveness. We think it comes with a condition. God wants to give us that gift, but before he does, God says, well, I want you to do this and this for me. Nothing could be further from the truth. Forgiveness is received, Nick, just like, when is this gift card yours? When you what? When you receive it. And that's exactly how God's forgiveness is. It's ours when we simply, we don't work for it, we just receive it. Now, Nick, the only problem with that gift card, it expires today. Can you go have lunch today at Chick-fil-A and use it? No. Oh, just checking, Nick. It's good. It's good, man. There's nothing to it. Thank you so much. Sometimes it pays to volunteer at church. <laughs> now, having said what I've already said about forgiveness, God freely gives it to us. Look at this next fill in the blank. This does not mean we can do whatever we want. We cannot do, just go out and do whatever we want. Can't do that. Sometimes, you know what? We treat God like this. We treat him like he is a vending machine. And we go up and we put our money in the vending machine and we push the button of what we want and we get exactly what we want. Sometimes that's exactly how we treat God, isn't it? Hey, God, this is what I need. Push the button, put my money, you know, and I get what I want from God. God is not our servant. We are his servants. Sometimes we treat God like this. Who knows what this is? It is a, it's not just a rabbit's foot, it is a lucky rabbit's foot. Right, now, some of you are going to show your age right now. How many of you growing up had a lucky rabbit's foot that you carried with you? Be proud. Be proud. I had my lucky rabbit's foot. And you know what, man? I had that rabbit's foot just like that until the carnival, the circus came to my little town. And then my world just got blown apart because look at this. You can get, now you can get lucky rabbit's foot in any color you want. I didn't know there was green rabbits. It's amazing on that. But here's what you do. You'd have your lucky rabbit's foot. I'd have it in my blue jeans, my front pocket. And when I got in trouble or I needed something, what would I do? I'd take my lucky rabbit's foot out. And what would I do to it? Rub my lucky rabbit's foot to give me good luck. You know, that's what we do with God. When we need God, we pull him out of our pocket and we say, God, I need you to do something for me. That's called abusing God's grace. We're not to abuse God's grace. In Romans chapter eight, verse one and two, notice what the scripture says. Well, then shall we keep on sinning so that God can keep on showing us more and more of his kindness and forgiveness? Of course not. There's another translation that says this, may it never be. May it never be. We're not to abuse God's grace. You see, our difficulty, look at this fill in the blank. Our difficulty is not one of being forgiven. Intellectually, we know God forgives us. Our problem is this. It's one of feeling forgiveness. We don't feel forgiveness. We have to learn to forgive ourselves. Here's the second reason why we find it so hard to forgive ourselves. Disappointment in self. Disappointment in self. 
I don't know about you, but it's hard for me to sometimes accept the truth about myself. God does something great in my life. I turn right around and I blow it. God lifts me up. I turn around and fall flat on my face. I disappoint myself. I have shame. I have guilt. I have depression. I don't know about you. I don't even live up to my own expectations, much less God's. Are you with me? Disappointment in self. But look at this next fill in the blank. We may disappoint ourselves. We may disappoint others. But notice this. We do not disappoint God. We don't disappoint God. Why? Look at the, look at the Bible verse. Psalm 103. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows, he knows how we are formed. He remembers we're but dust. But we're but dust. Disappointment is a result of unfulfilled expectations. If you get nothing else out of this message, please walk away with this. God does not, God does not expect perfection from you. God does not expect perfection from you. He knows that you and I are but dust. He knows our frailty. That's what God's grace is all about. He knows we're going to blow it time and time again. Here's a third reason we have trouble forgiving ourselves. <clears throat> and that's adjustment and surrender to guilt. Adjustment and surrender to guilt. There was a man who was walking down a sidewalk and as he walked ahead, he saw a young boy and as he got closer, he could realize that the, there was a birdcage right by the boy and he realized there were about five sparrows that the boy had obviously caught and somehow got into this birdcage. But as he got closer, he noticed the boy had a stick and he was poking at the birds through the birdcage. He was trying to jab them. Well, you can imagine the birds. They're flying all over the place as in that little bitty cage. They're squawking and that type of thing. And he's just having a blast trying to, you know, devil the birds. And so the man, as he's walking, says, I can't let the kid keep doing that. And so he says that to himself. And he gets up to the young boy and he says, I see you got some birds there. He said, I kind of like those birds. He said, I tell you what, I'd like to buy those birds from you. And the young boy said, you don't buy these birds, sir. He said, these birds aren't worth anything. They're so sparrows. He said, oh, no, I like them. I'd like to buy those birds from you. He said, how about if I give you 10 bucks? Would you sell me those birds for 10 bucks? He said, you give me 10 bucks for these birds? Yes, sir, sold. And so he took the $10. He was a happy camper. He goes off. And the man who then bought the birds, he wants to release them. So he opens up the, the bird cage, the little door to that. But the birds wouldn't come out. They're flying around in there and they're petrified, they're terrified and, and they're afraid to even go out and they're just, they're just hovering, they're just there, they won't leave. He tries to shoo them out, they won't leave. And finally, one of the little birds ventures out and he, he comes outside and he, he's outside now and he's just hovering right above the gate. Is this true? Is this real? And in bird language, I'm sure he looked back and he says, it's real, it's free, we're free, we're free, come on out, we're free, come on out. And one by one, each one of the birds came and they flew away. You see, here's the thing that happens. For so long, we live under guilt and self-condemnation. The very idea of being free is threatening to us. And we just stay in our little cage and we won't go out into the freedom that God has for us. Romans chapter six, verse six and seven tells this. Your old desires, my old desires were nailed to the cross with him, with Jesus your sin-loving body is no longer under sin's control, no longer needs to be a slave to sin. For when you are deadened to sin, you are freed from all its allure and its power over you. One of the things we have to do, we need to change our thinking. We need to change our thinking. We're free. We're free. We need to live like it. We need to change how we think. Then a fourth reason why we find it so hard to forgive ourselves. The expectation of repeated sin 
the expectation of repeated sin. We know, I think most of us know that God will offer us forgiveness. We get that type of thing, but we can't often forgive ourselves. You know why? Because here's what we think with some of our sins. I know I'm going to turn around and do it again. I just keep doing it over. I keep doing it over and over. I can't forgive that. Look at this fill in the blank. God's forgiveness is all inclusive. It's all inclusive, regardless of the nature of our sins or the frequency. In Matthew chapter 18, we find an encounter Jesus has with Peter. Peter comes to him and he asks him Jesus a question and he already kind of knows the answer, but he's trying to get on Jesus's good side. So here's what he does. He comes up to Jesus and he says, Lord, if my brother keeps on sinning against me, how many times do I forgive him? Now the Jewish law had a number. It was like three or four, whatever it was. And so, but he takes that number and here's what he says. I'm not going to do what the law says. I'm going to go over the law. And so he says to Jesus, he said, should I forgive him seven times? Like he's going to think Jesus is going like, oh, you go, man. You're above what the law says. Here's what Jesus said to him. No, not seven times, Jesus answered, but 70 times seven. Now, Paul's probably doing the math in his head. 490 times? Am I supposed to keep a tick sheet that every time I forgive, I mark it off? Do I get to 490? No, Jesus was saying, you just keep on forgiving. Just like I forgive you. There's no end. I just keep on forgiving. You just keep on forgiving. But having said that, I want you to remember this. We often do not escape the consequences of our sins on this earth. We often do not escape the consequences of our sin on this earth. You may get a speeding ticket. God will forgive you. Judge it. You're going to pay the consequences, right? You have a blow up. You have a fight, an argument, not a physical fight, but you know, a verbal fight with someone. God will forgive you for that, right? What about the other person? No, you need to go and ask for forgiveness. You need to make amends, right? So just because God forgives us, it doesn't mean that we escape the consequences of our sins on earth. An extreme example of this is this lady right here. My guess is you're probably not going to know her. This is a police mugshot. There it is. Magic. This is Carla Faye Tucker. That name ring a bell from the late 1990s, right before 2000. She brutally murdered two acquaintances with that pickaxe. Brutal murders. She was convicted in the state of Texas for those murders. She was sentenced to death in Texas. Rare for a woman to be sentenced for death. She was sentenced to death. While she was in prison, she became a Christian and it dramatically changed her life. She even knitted the detective who was mainly responsible for her being convicted. She knitted him a sweater in prison, sent it to him. There was a prison minister, a guy who was an outsider who came into the prison and would minister to the inmates. They fell in love and she married the prison minister. But as the date got closer and closer to her execution, there were hundreds of letters that began pouring into the governor of Texas asking him to pardon her and not execute her because her story had just gone out about the change in her life and so forth. But the governor did not grant her immunity. And in 1998, she was executed in the state of Texas. You see, our forgiveness, I rather escaping our consequences of our sins on earth are not necessarily tied to God's forgiveness to us. We need to always remember that. 
God forgives us when we sin. We have to learn to forgive ourselves. Sometimes I've had people ask me, Pastor Russ, if God forgives us, why do I need to confess my sins? That's a great question. The word confess literally means to agree with. And so what God is saying, I want you to agree with me that what you have done is wrong. I want you to know what you have done is wrong. I want you to confess that. I want you to agree with me on that. I don't know about you, but I love it when I see parents make their kids apologize. Right? Say you're sorry. I'm sorry. It's so heartfelt. It is so meaningful. I'm moved to tears when I see that. That's not the kind of forgiveness God wants us to offer or to receive, is it? So how do we then, how do we forgive ourselves and experience the fullness of God's forgiveness? Let's look at four quick steps as we close this morning. Here's the first one. We need to recognize the problems. The problem. The problem is we haven't forgiven ourselves. And we hold ourselves in bondage because of it. We need to go to God and we need to say this. Father, I realize I haven't forgiven myself. And I am in bondage because of it. Second step is this. We need to turn from the sin for which we can't forgive ourselves. The Bible has a word for this. It is the word repent. Now let's pretend this table represents God. Here's what repent means. I am walking away from God. I need to repent. It means I need to stop. I need to turn around and I need to come back to God. It's a change of direction. That's what we need to do. We need to repent of our sins. We don't need to abuse God's grace, but repent. We need to tell God that we are unwilling to forgive ourselves. And by doing that, that's not in keeping with what God's word tells us. We need to thank him for his forgiveness. We need to confess our sins. In fact, we need to say something like this. Father, I thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for for forgiving me, for holding myself in bondage, for keeping myself from you and limiting your use of me in my life. The third step is this. We need to reaffirm our trust in God's promises. How does God forgive? There's four different ways God forgives us. Here's the first one. He forgives us instantly. Instantly. We're not so quick at forgiving, are we? We want a little time for things to go by. God forgives instantly. Nehemiah 7, 9, 17. And by the way, you and I were not designed by God to carry guilt around with us. We're not designed for that. Nehemiah says this, you are a God of forgiveness, always ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to become angry, full of love and full of mercy. Second of all, God forgives completely. God forgives completely, not partially. Now, do not look at your spouse. Do not raise a hand. But if you ever had an argument with your spouse and you kind of made up and you asked for forgiveness and so forth, and then later on, a week later, you had another argument and they bring back what you had forgiven and they bring it back and throw it right back in your face, that's called hitting below the belt. That's fighting unfair. No can do. No can do. Some of you are laughing right now at each other. I'm not going to say anything else. I I think you get it. I think you get it on that. Look at this verse, Colossians 2, 13 and 14. God has forgiven you all your sins. Christ has utterly wiped out the damning evidence of broken laws and commandments, which always hung over our heads and has completely annulled it. Annulled means to, to, uh, to declare it invalid, null and void, and nullified it by nailing it over his own head on the cross. God forgives us instantly, completely. And number three, God forgives us repeatedly. He forgives us repeatedly. 1 John 1, 9. This is the Christian's bar of soap. If you don't know this verse, you ought to memorize it. It says, but if we confess, maybe you will, maybe you won't. But if we confess, here's what God says. He will keep his promise and do what is right. He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all wrongdoing. There's no limit to God's forgiveness. Now, here's what some people think. And this is 100% wrong. Here's what we think. 
God's not going to forgive me until I get my act together. Can I ask you an honest question? Have you ever had your act together? <laughs> now, here's what I need you to do. It's applies to all of us. I want you to look at the person you came with and with all the love you can muster in your face and in your voice, I want you to look at them with all that love and simply say this, honey, you still haven't got it all together. Go ahead and tell them that right now. They need to hear that. Go ahead and let them know. Go ahead and let them know. For some of you, that was worth coming to church for right there, okay? That was worth it right there. Somebody said guilt is like garbage. You got to repeatedly take it out. If you don't, it begins to stink, right? And the solution is not a biggest, bigger garbage can. The solution is you got to get rid of it. You got to get rid of it. God has done that for us if we allow him to. Number four, God forgives freely. God forgives freely. Romans 3, 24 and 23 and 24. Yes, all have sinned. Yet God now declares us not guilty of offending him. If we trust in Christ Jesus, who is his, is his kind, in, in his kindness, freely takes away our sins. We need to, need to say to God, our Father, <clears throat> I reaffirm my trust and my faith in the word of God. The final step is this. We need to confess our freedom and choose to receive it. Confess, remember, agree with God. Confess our freedom and choose to receive it. We need to say something like this. Lord Jesus, on the basis of your word and as an act of my will in faith, I here and now forgive myself because you have already forgiven me. I accept forgiveness and I choose from this moment on to be freed of all that I have held against myself. Please confirm my freedom to me by the power and presence of your spirit. Not only if you do this and you begin to pray that type of prayer, not only will you be set free, you will begin a healing process in your life as well. When Jesus was arrested in the garden that fateful night, what did his disciples do? They ran for their lives, didn't they? Because they thought we're next. They're going to catch us. We're dying too. But Peter, after he ran, he did something different that the other disciples didn't do. He went back to the place, the building where Jesus' trial was taking place. And there were a group outside. There was a fire going on. And he sat among that group. And three times people looked at him and said, wait a minute. I can tell by your accent. You're from Galilee. You're from the northern part. Aren't you one of Jesus? That guy's Jesus' followers? Three times somebody asked him that. What did he say every time? Not me. Not me. In fact, the last time the Bible says he cursed the person. And he said, no, no. What happened to Peter after the resurrection? We're told there was a time after the resurrection, Jesus had all of his disciples together and they were sharing a meal together. And Jesus has this conversation with Peter. Here it is for you. In John chapter 21, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And now Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Why did Jesus do this? Why did he do this? How many times does Peter deny Jesus? And three times he asked him, do you love me? And what did he say? Take care of my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. What was Jesus doing? Look at the last fill in the blank on your outline. Jesus not only forgave Peter, 
but he reinstated him into service. There's some of you here today, you're thinking, God could never use me because what happened in my past, you are 100% wrong. Sometimes our greatest message, our greatest ministry comes from those times of brokenness and sin in our lives if we let God to use it and turn it around. God's not through with you. Make that a note. He's not through with you regardless of your past. How does God forgive us? How does he show his love? By forgiving us and making us free to love and forgive ourselves. Let's close in prayer. Father, it's hard for us to understand your amazing, your incredible gift of forgiveness that you offer to us. Father, we're so grateful that you forgive instantly, you forgive completely, you forgive repeatedly, you forgive us freely. God, I pray especially for the person who's here today that have had trouble forgiving themselves. For whatever reason it may be, Father, I pray you'd begin to release them from that chain of bondage that the enemy loves to inflict upon us and we hinder your working in our life by doing so. And if you are here right now with our eyes closed, our heads bowed, and that relates to you, you say, I'm having trouble forgiving myself. I just gonna, I'm just going to pray a prayer and I just want you to repeat it silently after me. I'll break it down phrase by phrase. But if this is, message has been for you, I encourage you to pray the prayer. Lord Jesus, on the basis of your word, by an act of my will, in faith, I here and now forgive myself because you have already forgiven me. I accept forgiveness and I choose from this moment to be freed of all that I have held against myself. Please confirm my freedom to me by the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit in my life. In your name I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you look at the end of your program, you'll see next steps today. One is, I want to encourage you, if this message has been meaningful to you, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer. I've given it to you on your next steps each day this week. And then second of all, I want to encourage you to reread your message notes and the little letter of Philemon. And if God prompts you to do something, I want to encourage you, obey and do it. Hello, thank you so much for tuning in to New Hope this week. You know, the church doesn't stop when the video does. And make sure that you share this with a friend. You can even support what we're doing via the Give button here on the left. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel so you don't miss a single Sunday. And we cannot wait to see you this week, either in person or online. Have a great day.